All right, welcome. Hey, my name is Todd. I'm here with Alyssa, and this is the Unqualified Scholar Podcast, where I talk about some things I know about and some things I don't know about, and Alyssa is a great help at things I don't know anything about. So what's what's to, what did we do last week? Oh, you asked these questions. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been too long. <laughs> okay, it was... Um, there was one that was the acronym, right? What was the acronym? OMG. OMG. That and was then last week was something different. It didn't drive me to research, so I don't know. I don't I don't remember. Okay. I'll have to go All back right. and re-listen. So what do you have for me this week? Do you know the significance of the pomegranate in Greek mythology? Wow, that's um that's a very unusually specific thing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so in Greek, I'm not a Greek mythology guy. Okay, so the significance of the pomegranate. So this is like Zeus and Hades and Hera and Aphrodite. Yeah, those are all somewhat familiar Apollo. names. I would say it probably has something to do with fertility because that's just a very ancient world. Feels Greek to me, so mm. I'm going to say for fertility of some kind. I guess it's technically the opposite of that because oh, really? it has to do with Hades and the underworld. Oh, yeah, no, I, I have so no idea. The the gods were able to move between the underworld mm-hmm. and up top or the mm-hmm. earth, um, kind of kind of freely. Mm-hmm. But if you ate of the pomegranate while you were down in the underworld. You could not leave. Oh. You were then stuck. So Hades kind of tricks Persephone into eating the pomegranate. Oh. While she's in. While she's down there. Like visiting. Well, he kind of kidnapped her. but Okay. So kidnapped to South Florida, eat pomegranates, and you have to stay there. Yes. But he (laughs) made the agreement because she ate three, Mm. I think. So this is how we get our spring and winter is Demeter is her mom mm-hmm. and was very upset that right. she got taken to the underworld and she stopped letting the earth produce. Oh, yeah. Until she came back. So she's allowed to be on earth or above the underworld so for she three got months. Like an exception to her consignment to hell. Yes. Because of her mom. Yes. That's very interesting. But he tricked her with the yeah. pomegranate, so she has to come back. Like, wouldn't that be like, wouldn't that be like in, in the uh, in the agreement somewhere? It'd be like if you get tricked into hell, that doesn't count. I mean, the, the with the Greek mythology, there's a lot of tricking and like kind of thing. So. I understand. Yeah, that's actually one of the things. Like when you when you think about and study the ancient world. So what I do know a little bit about, like. Greek religions is that their their boundary between the human and the divine is kind of fuzzy, mm-hmm. right? So why would a god or a demigod need to eat anything while they are in hell right. for vacation, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, all of those ideas are very human characteristics. And so that's one of the big differences between like Christian religion, the Judeo-Christian God, Mm -hmm. he does not need anything. He does not eat. He is the provider of food. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's one of the big differences. And that, this is where um, like you even find it in the first century where um, 
you know, Jesus claims to be God, mm-hmm. and he does it in a couple places in Scripture. It's reported in a very, um, a very polite Jewish fashion kind of a thing. Like he doesn't come out and say, "I am God," right? Mm-hmm. He does come out and say, "I and my Father are one." Which, and then you see the response of the crowd. They pick up rocks to kill him because <clears throat> to claim God as your Father in the way that he did it is to say he's equal to God. Mm-hmm. So there's no one equal to God but God, therefore we must kill this person who's claiming to be a, a God. Greeks didn't really have a problem with that, so much so that when Alexander the Great started his conquests of the known world, we've talked about the Temple of Diana in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. It had been through a fire. So this is 300 years before the, the, the first century, in the 300s B.C., Alexander the Great offers to rebuild, he offers to pay for rebuilding the Temple of Diana. And the priests very wisely responded that it would be um, unusual for one god to repay to build the temple of another. Uh, and so they Alexander get Alexander the Great was considered a god. A little bit, yeah. Alexander the Great, <laughs> until he died in his 30s after a bath in a cold river. But anyway, <laughs> you know... Uh, the Greeks had a very human idea of the gods. And that line just gets fuzzy all the time. So, you know, that's well, where... Well, because they, they come down from Olympus often. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Well, and you, you think about, like, the difference... In the ancient world, things were not quite as stratified. There, there was no real middle class, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were born poor, you died poor. Right. Um, if you were born ignorant, you died ignorant. If your parents didn't know anything, there was no public school system... Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the rich people were so fantastically rich that you'd drive through on your chariots with your war horses and everything, and people see you up there on the horse with your golden crown or whatever, and mm-hmm. your flowing togas, and they're like, well, he's as far above me as I can even imagine, right. so maybe he is. Well, there's also not the like newspapers and stuff like that. So right. like, you could go into a town and say that you were so-and-so, and nobody's going to disagree mm-hmm. with you unless yeah. they happen to have actually met the original person yeah. because there wasn't photographs mm-hmm. or a lot of the statues right were idealistic conceptions of what you looked like or what you thought you should look like public relations mm-hmm. the same thing's true of coins and coinage mm-hmm. um antiochus epiphanes which is he before i think he's before alex no after alexander the great antiochus epiphanes the fourth Epiphanies means manifest. So his coinage would have epiphanies, which is, you know, God manifests. So mm-hmm. here, this is, this is your God <laughs> on all the coins. So that was a good one. That, I, I, um, I'm probably not going to pick up a book on Greek mythology because you can see I have a couple stacks of books around here that are <laughs> um, desperately needing to be read. But what we've been talking about in church is something called a uh, new series called Spiritual Strategies for Better Decision Making. And so that's where um, I read a book um, about communication strategies, and I've tried to incorporate some of that um, in this sermon series. Mm-hmm. And so I've shortened the uh, some of the points, it's like some of the titles of the points. Okay. So the first point is Renew Your Mind, and it comes from Romans 12, too. Romans 12, 2 is super important because it tells us that uh, it's, it's actually talking about understanding God's will, and the clearest way that we understand the will of God is by understanding what God has written in the scriptures, right? Correct. And you have to understand that correctly. Like, there, there are some rules for your interpretation, like you can't just go um, crack the Bible open 
find a verse and believe this I'm is going to read this one today. Yeah, this is the one thing that the whole thing balances out. There's there's years and years of people studying the scriptures to come up with a consensus view of the truth. There are some big disagreements that will probably always be disagreements. Yeah. Um, and so it takes a, a pretty sensitive touch to um, to read and understand clearly. And that's one of the things that I want to do with my life in ministry is mm-hmm. to, first of all, read it clearly for myself, but then also to help other people to understand that better. So renew your mind. The process of that is really like understanding the Bible. And then the second point of the first week was check your ego because... I think what characterizes the modern world is we have fractured ourselves into such smaller and smaller groups that when it comes to questions like, what should I do with my life? That's a very self-centered question. Right. It's a very Western question. What should I do with my life Mm -hmm. means that I belong to me. Right. Well, I don't just belong to me. I belong to my dog. In some sense, right? Yeah. Because I have obligations to take good care of my dog, who is in the room now and not supposed to be. None of that. Um, <clears throat> I have obligations to my wife and my kids, my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently went and visited my mother, you know, because that's what good sons do. Yeah. So I try to have those obligations. What should I do with my life? How can I honor my family? So the second thing we talked about was checking your ego. And we use Proverbs uh, 1, 1 through 7, but we also hit this idea when we talked about Ecclesiastes. You know, Ecclesiastes is this really hard book that's just, it's very pessimistic, it's very negative. And then at the end of the book, Solomon, who wrote it, um, says that the end of the matter is this, to trust God and be obedient. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a big idea. Because we have so many different messages that say, it's your life, do your thing. You know, all that stuff. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. And really what scripture says is come back to ancient wisdom. Come back to what God says. Saturate in that. Learn that. Know that. So that you're not just picking and choosing. And then last week we talked about two other big ideas. Really, we, it was a big negative example. Set a foundation, which we, we looked at some of the things that the Jewish kings were supposed to know and do. And then we looked at Saul, the very first king, who was supposed to know and didn't do mm-hmm. as a negative example. Um, and we used Deuteronomy 6 there as a, as a touch point for the scriptures. And then we also, like the last point, was catch the drift. And catch the drift is really understanding biblical stuff in its context, in its place in the literature, okay. and in its historical cultural context. Most of the time, people misread the Bible because of verses, right? Mm-hmm. You open it we up, and you're like, that, yeah. here's this verse, and that's the thing. But the verse... Verses you take it added. out of context, context because oh. like just this little bit, yeah. just it's, this one verse out of this whole big chapter and book. Is, this is the piece that I like. Yep. You know, this is the warm and fuzzy, you know. Um, well, John 3.16 is a great example, right? Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, yep. we commit it to memory. But right, you go to John 3.36 and it's like, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're toast. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> um, but it's really, it's like obedience is kind of expected of us as, as human beings to come to God in humility. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody likes that idea. It's not warm and fuzzy, mm-hmm. right? Think about a child. Um, you have children. Your children are delightful. Do they always <laughs> do what they're told with a happy heart? No. 
I can't believe it. <laughs> they're so they're such good kids. My grandson, um, last night we sat down with him and I said, "Okay, listen, what do you want?" He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "You want something, right? You want to do something with the rest of your evening after dinner. You want to do something, mm-hmm. but you have your chore, which is emptying the dishwasher, because we're so unreasonable." And um, he had a little homework to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you want something that isn't emptying the dishwasher. And it isn't doing your homework. You want video games or going out and hanging out with your buddies or you want ice cream. Ice cream is the thing, mm-hmm. always. And so I told him the fastest way for you to get to what you want is to do what you need to do first. Right. And I could just see his little heart looking for a loophole. <laughs> and it's like, man, there's just no loopholes here, mm-hmm. you know. So those are the the big points that we've we've kind of talked about in the spiritual strategies for better decision making. And I, I was reading today, we use the negative example of Saul, right? Because Saul was the guy, he was the king of Israel. He was supposed to make a handwritten copy of the Old Testament law. Okay. So he would know it, right? Mm-hmm. So that he would know it and be able to do it and be able to help his entire nation keep on track. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes we, we misunderstand the law because we kind of skip ahead to the New Testament where it talks about how not you don't get right with God by following the law, right? Mm-hmm. You get right with God by trusting in Jesus. Absolutely 100% true. But what the law was intended to do was not that. That's kind of a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation of the law okay. by some well-meaning people called Pharisees. They were, they were trying to do everything they could to be right with God, and they kind of made it a competition. Mm-hmm. But when you go back and think about the law, I'm, I'm more right than you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's yeah. Oh, and and that's really that's. I mean, welcome to human nature, right? Yeah. Are your kids competitive? Oh yeah. <laughs> with each other or just with with outside the family? Um, I mean, it's hard. They'd probably be competitive with each other if they were trying to do something. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot that they are like other than like our time or mm-hmm. something like that. But. So their interests don't overlap a whole lot. Not a whole lot. That's a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, it's more of a, it's not fair that this person gets to do something. That's that's not necessarily competition, but it's mm-hmm. still a. Mm-hmm. The standard isn't right because I'm not getting my way. Right. We did that like so much. <clears throat> you have a double standard. No, we don't. We have four kids. We have four different standards. Yeah. Well, I'm talking to you about you. Oh, I heard that so many times. But when we think about a, a positive example, um, so, you know, you can, uh, if you happen to be interested or if you, you missed a sermon, it's recorded. It's on our Facebook page. Um, but let's think of a positive example, okay? So this is the time of the king. Saul is the first king. We're getting towards the end of the series of kings. So we've had uh, Saul and then uh, David and then Solomon. So Solomon is kind of the height of the Jewish monarchy. Okay. Solomon built the temple. He built the king's house. Um, he was able to, and, and to do that kind of work, you had to have like um, political control over the area so that you're not just fighting wars all the time. Right. You have to have enough income coming in that you can afford to pay the laborers, buy the materials, all that kind of stuff. So the building of the temple was like this height of Israelite um, society. Um, 
<clears throat> and I mean, there's still like, there, we have problems with David. David did some things that were bad. Uh, Solomon did some things that were bad. I mean, welcome to humanity. Right. People do they're, bad stuff. They're all human. They're all human, just like all of us. And then as you sort of like the kingdom, this sort of starts this downhill slide after Solomon. Now, if you go back to the law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it talks about um, blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Okay. So if you obey the law and create this culture, you will have God's blessing. And some of that I think is just natural, right? Mm. Like I use traffic laws as the illustration on Sunday. Okay. Right? If everybody followed the traffic laws, like if everybody knew how to merge. Yes. We just had that conversation on the way back from Cedar Point a couple weeks ago. If everybody oh, knew how to too. merge, what a better world this would be. The zipper merge, yeah. Or you know what? Can we all just use the blinker? Oh. Just use the blinker. I mean, and then that would create a society where things are actually like, it would be a better world if we could merge and use the blinker. Or just slow down when we're going someplace. Yeah. Instead of like being in a, like, oh yeah, you can go ahead in front of me because I, it doesn't matter that five seconds of mm -hmm. letting you in. It's almost like a microcosm of the me, me, me. Yeah, exactly. Thing. So uh, we used uh, Saul as a negative example, but. And towards the end of the kingdoms, um, right before the judgments kick in, um, things had gotten so bad that they had misplaced the law. So they were kind of like on cruise control. They mm -hmm. were just really not doing correctly. And so in 2 Kings 22.8, um, Hilkiah finds the book of the law. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Wait, what? I mean, can you can you just imagine like what's going on here? Oh, look, here's this book that describes our obligations, the culture that we're supposed to take that will result in in blessing. And I, oh, we just dusted it off because they actually cleaned out a storehouse. It's like, oh, look, here it is. <laughs> and so, you know, he read it. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Uh -huh. Now, this includes, this is probably things like, you know, Deuteronomy. You know, and Deuteronomy uh -huh. is probably the, the big thing, because if we if we go back to that, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all, all your soul and all your mind. He found it. He read the book. And this guy, the king, Josiah, maybe it's Josiah, he was, was one of the guys who was like, he wanted to follow the Lord. He had that humility. So it was Josiah the king? I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, we were saying that with Saul. Uh... Yeah, in the 18th year of King Josiah. Okay, so this is actually, Josiah was, if you go back to 2 Kings 22.1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. So as an eight-year-old, he became the king. 18 years later, when he was 26, he understands that he doesn't have the law. And so all of the things that Saul should have known, mm -hmm. or that all the kings should have known, yeah. he didn't know. So he now knows that he is supposed to, as an act of obedience before God, write out a copy of the law. Can you imagine like how devastating that would be if you had a heart and you're like, I want to follow the one true God. Mm -hmm. And then you realize all of a sudden there's this big requirement. And you're like, Lord, I'm so sorry. you know. And then you immediately get to work. And so when you look 
2211, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. So this is a public statement of like deep mourning. He is like, I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And think about, like we talked about humility, you know, we talked about checking your ego. This guy's already king. He is king. Right. There is nobody in his orbit who is more powerful than he is. And he realizes that there is one more powerful than him that he must submit to, and it's God. Mm -hmm. He tears his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, <laughs> and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according that is all, all that is written concerning us. Now, <clears throat> how does he know the will of God? It's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. He goes and he finds the Bible and he's like, oh no, we have done wrong. We have sinned. We have erred. And he also knows that that's going to bring judgment because disobedi disobedience brings a curse. Mm -hmm. he, he gets that. Like he gets it. He understands it. And so he goes and he's looking for a prophet. Now, Saul, right, he looked for, um, he, he was wanting to hear from God from a dream. He wanted to hear from God from the Urim and Thummim, which is kind of a yes-no answer system. Okay. He wanted to hear from a prophet, but no, no prophets have come about. And the reason for Saul is that the kingdom has already been removed from him. He's supposed to step down and usher in David, but he doesn't. Fighting in caves. Yeah, and, that's okay. yeah, hiding in the whole story. It's I mean, it's a great long story where mm -hmm. you know David is being chased around. David is trying to honor God, do the right thing, <clears throat> and Saul is just this knucklehead. Um, <clears throat> but this guy Josiah, he's like, okay, we have to hear from God, and so he already knows that judgment is coming. That they have earned judgment, mm -hmm. but he wants to know, okay, can I stop it? Right? Is there something that we can do to stop it? Is there something we can do to make it right? Can we repent? Can mm -hmm. we turn back to God? And so he, they go to a prophet, and they get um, a response from the prophet. And the response is, 2219, the response is basically bad news. Um, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up, 14. Um. Yeah, basically in 2214 to 20, the prophet gives bad news. Judgment is coming. Okay. Because of the sins of the people, you've earned it. Judgment is coming. Um, but the upside is because your heart was penitent, this is verse 19, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. So, okay, bad news, judgment is coming. Good news, not until after you die. Okay. So what is he going to do? Try to live forever. <laughs> Sit on the couch and watch Oprah, right? <laughs> I mean, he's been promised peace. But what mm -hmm. he does, what he embarks on is this campaign of cultural renewal. So he takes the book of the law, he understands what the people are supposed to be doing, and he says, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And so he gathers all the people together, 
He gets the elders. He gets everybody on board. He says, look, this is what God has told us. So he knows from the book that he has earned judgment. He knows from the prophet that it is going to come. Mm -hmm. And so his response is to let's get ready. And the preparation is to turn the people's hearts back to God. And that means, I mean, they did some pretty hardcore stuff. Okay. So they had started um, false worship in the land. They had a bunch of idols and idolatry and demon worship. Very common in that time period. Yeah. If, if there were Greek gods, they probably would have chased after them. <laughs> but this is earlier in history. Um, they, they basically start reforming a lot of things. Um, they cut down all the altars to false gods and burn them up. They okay. burn up the idols. They kill vigorously and with great enthusiasm the priests of these false gods. Mm. Um, it is the Old Testament. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, really it's like this, it, it's this act of national repentance, you know. And, yeah, some of it was hard. Some of it was real hard. But repentance always is hard. Right. And I think about, you know, like why? Like what's the why to all of these actions that he took? <laughs> I think the first thing is that repentance is right. Mm -hmm. He he knew from scripture. It's like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. So we're going to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to decision-making, sometimes that's the part of our life when we realize that there's something in scripture that we've missed, our ego gets in the way. We're supposed to do what's right. Even if it costs us something, mm -hmm. even if it's hard, even if it involves like swallowing your pride and making an apology, you yeah. know? And that's, yeah. that's never the kind of thing like I, Nobody likes to apologize, right? Mm -hmm. But what I've learned about apologizing, and I've, this is a life skill, um, look for something. Look for something that you can apologize for, and it'll help you in your relationship with your spouse, with your coworkers. I'm sorry this went this way. Yeah, that's You're not necessarily taking responsibility for doing anything wrong. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. I'm sorry that we're at odds. Um, I actually had to apologize to Ruth Ann as you were arriving because honey, I don't think I communicated this very clearly and I'm so <laughs> sorry. You know, these apologies, this repentance, this coming back to what's right is right. Mm -hmm. And so when I think when Josiah does this, he's just doing what is right. That's one reason. Here's another reason. Repentance might still bring relief. You see over and over in scripture, there's judgment that is earned. There is a prophet who says, nope, it's coming. And the person who is to lead the people leads the people the right direction because God is always looking for repentance. Mm -hmm. God is always looking for a tender heart that says, Lord, I've screwed up. And well, that's a paraphrase. Um, Lord, I've messed up. I've done what's wrong and I want to do what's right. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to incorporate that in a lot of, uh, in a lot of the teaching that I've done. I taught college students. I said, look, sin has consequences, right? Yeah. But so does repentance. And so repent. But I think the important thing is you have to be serious about it. Oh, like, yeah. You can't just say the words and it be done. You know, that's a typical kid thing mm -hmm. at the moment is, you know, oh, you hit your sister. You, mm -hmm. Well, you need to apologize. Oh, oh I'm sorry. sorry. But it, you you're can. Not. You're not. And you can tell that. So I think mm -hmm. that when you're looking for something to apologize for, you have to make sure that you're sincere yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. Or else the other person is going to see right through it. So not uh, a long time ago in a land far, far away, right? Uh -huh. So a long time ago, land far, far away, I had someone uh, who was behaving badly as a part of the church. 
And so resulting in a confrontation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everybody's favorite thing. And I told this person, I said, look, what you're doing is wrong. Clearly described. This is what you're doing. This is what's wrong. This is why it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And this, this person got mad, you know? And so they got mad and they yelled at me and I yelled back, you know, um, because I was afraid I was going to get assaulted. Um, No, literally, like I was afraid this guy was going to come up out of his chair and and throw a punch. Yeah. Well, um, so finally, after we we kept talking, kept talking, I said, fine, I'm sorry. And I looked at him right square in the eye and I said, I don't forgive you Mm -hmm. because you have not repented. You are not sorry. Mm -hmm. And so he stormed away mad. And I was like, okay. Um, and this is where, like, I am not always the warmest and fuzziest. Like, if you need a counselor, it's probably not me. Um, I love people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always open to to repenting myself, to finding what I've done wrong and, and finding a way to take ownership of it. This guy left mad. I mean, mad, mad. Stormed out. People in the, we had a meeting going on and people were there. And so they all saw it. Um, <clears throat> he called me the next morning and he said, can I come talk to you? And I was like, sure. Um, and I had one of the, one of the guys from the leadership team there and he walked in, he said, I'm sorry. And I mean, you know, what I, I I'm not looking for a way to win mm-hmm. the situation. I'm looking for a way to be faithful, right? Mm-hmm. He had done something that was wrong. He needed to take ownership of it. When he finally did, I said, I forgive you, you know, because that's what's right, Yep. you know, and we're great friends. Like we, we don't talk all the time, but he loves me. I love mm-hmm. him. Want good things for him. Mm-hmm. Um, He's getting closer to the end of his life, so I will do his funeral when that day comes. Um, and I will probably share this story, you know, because this is an act of growth on his part. Yeah. But it's not easy. Correct. And so repentance. Repentance is right. Repentance might still bring relief for the ancient people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And repentance prepares people to go through hard times. And I think that's one of the things that King Josiah really caught is that if he helped create a culture of faithfulness to Yahweh, mm-hmm. that even though disaster was coming, there were still going to be people that had to go through disaster mm-hmm. and still be faithful to God. And so, like you think about um, what's going to happen in the next 50 years in the United States of America. Go. Oh, I have no idea. how. Yeah. Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? Hard to say. It's hard to say, right? I mean, is um, are we at the end of capitalism as we know it, where you know all of a sudden we're going to be living in each other's basements and yeah, who knows what, right? <laughs> right. Who knows? But what's written in Scripture is written to carry us through the good times and the bad times, mm-hmm. and it's probably more clear in the bad times. Yeah. You know, so that in the bad times. We come back to what the scripture says. We come back to uh, being faithful to God. We come back to, we find the book, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And when we find the book, then we can start living by the book and according to the book. And that's the culture that God intends for us. So that's kind of full circle, isn't it, right? Mm-hmm. You find the book and then you come back to it. And so I think that's where 
like there are a lot of um, church consultants who talk about, you know, <clears throat> well, when the pandemic kicked off, everybody was really hot to um, everything has to go online. Church is going to be online, you know, and here we are, I'll, I'll say post pandemic with an asterisk, right? Yeah, like yeah. A- assuming the next, you know, couple of years go well or whatever. Um, here we are post pandemic and online is a part of church. Yes. But it's not taking the place of church. Correct. And I don't think that it can, you know, mm-hmm. because there's something to be said for being in the room. Yes. When the music is happening or being in the church when the people are there. Church is kind of scary when there's nobody there. Yeah. Big, huge building. Well, big, most of the time, a big, big huge building. building. You yeah. know, like the foundation settles and you're like, is somebody here? Yeah. Um. Yeah, church church can be kind of creepy when the people aren't there. And that's where, when the people are there, that's when it comes along. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much what I've, what I've got. I think, um, you know, these, these couple different principles, uh, renewing your mind is probably the biggest one. Checking your ego, that's so important. Setting a foundation, knowing what bi- the Bible says, and then catching the drift. Catching the drift is just basically understanding the Bible in context. There's places where we can disagree. Um, there's places where we must agree as Christians mm-hmm. and sort of walking through those places is what makes us a stronger people. Yeah. I still don't know anything about the Greeks. No, not there. Not really. I mean, a, like a little, I've, I've been listening to an audio book. That's oh. all Greek mythology. Oh really? So, yeah. Audio books are great. Narrated by Stephen Fry, so it's. I don't know Stephen Fry. Oh. I don't know anything about Stephen Fry. That's, that's two today. Next trivia question. Next trivia question. Stephen Fry.